The following message is brought to you by Cashin First Baptist Church and Pastor Greg Davis in Cashin, Oklahoma. For more information about Cashin FBC, please visit CashinFBC.org. Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bible, and put your finger on verse 15 and 16. That will be our text under consideration this morning. Definitely excited for the preaching of the word. We'll wait for them to dismiss, and when the door closes, we'll begin our time together. As long as I can remember, I've always attempted on the first of the year to preach a New Year's message uh, to put our focus on the new opportunities in front of us. Now, I want you to understand something. If you're here today and you're not a member of a church, you didn't grow up in church, there is nothing significant, theologically speaking, biblically speaking, about January 1st. There's no mandate in scripture that we have to preach a New Year's message. But for us who live by the calendar and who think about the new year, it is an opportunity for us to reconsider our priorities. And so it's always a good time to kind of think through the new year. Now I'm aware also that Chris Lowry preached a New Year's message last week. He and I talked right before the service and he kind of told me some of the things that he said and some of the things he preached through. Um, So with that said, I'm aware there could be a little bit of overlap in this message. But the great thing for you, the great thing for me is we're both using the Bible and so we can't lose. And God's people said amen, right? So if you have Ephesians chapter 5 in front of you, look at verse 15 and 16 with me. It says, therefore... Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father God, as we begin a new year, I pray that we can gain a new sense of perspective. Lord, I pray that we can make some new priorities in our life. And God, most of all, I pray that we can bathe ourselves in the reality of your mercy that is new every morning. God, we don't have to wait until January 1st to have your grace and mercy. You present it to us every single time we draw breath in the morning. And so, God, we thank you for that and praise you for that. We also pray, God, that you would uh, give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are quick to obey. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul wrote a large portion of your New Testament. If you're someone who doesn't read your Bible, you're not familiar with the Bible, you need to understand that he wrote a large portion of what you hold in your hand called the New Testament. And he did this primarily in the form of letters inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you have Thessalonians and you have Galatians and you have Ephesians that is in front of you. You have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So there's so much of what Paul writes to us in the New Testament. And in all of those letters, Paul places a very high priority on correct doctrine. 
uh, what you believe, what you teach. And for him, as it is not in this 21st century setting that we have, it is not a matter of take it or leave it when it comes to what we believe. For the Apostle Paul, it is literally a matter of heaven or hell. And if you don't uh, know this, or if you want to see a clear picture of this, I would encourage you to go back and read the letter to the Galatian church, because there you'll see how serious this issue of correct doctrine is. Now, if we read things through a biblical lens, we understand that this applies to us as well. These are things that are matters of life and death, matters of heaven and hell. And so we want to be correct in what we teach. As a matter of fact, we want to preach the true gospel. And here's why. Because truth to God matters. But there's another side of the Apostle Paul's preaching. And I want to talk to you about it this morning. Uh, Yes, we have correct teaching that he puts an emphasis on. We have correct doctrine and belief. He puts that high priority on. But the other side of Paul's preaching is correct living. Correct living. So brothers and sisters, what you believe absolutely 100% matters. But equal with that, how we live matters. I want to give you two words that you can write down. There's some fancy Uh, theological words, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. If you were to isolate out that word ortho, do you know what it means? Well, if you go to an orthodontist, you understand that the orthodontist is going to take your crooked teeth and he's going to try to straighten them out. So when we talk about orthodoxy, we talk about orthodox, we want to have straight teaching. We want to have it straight down the line, cut cut a straight text when we preach the Word of God. We don't want to veer to the left or veer to the right. We want to go straight down the line with our teaching. That's what orthodoxy is. And then what about orthopraxy? That's straight living. God wants us to live according to His teaching. That's what straight living or orthopraxy is. And this matters to the Apostle Paul. Not only what we believe but how we live. Well, the letter that you have in front of you this morning is packed and loaded with both of those realities, the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy. Let me give you an example of this. In chapters 1 and chapter 2, Paul gives us some of the richest doctrines in all of Scripture. Did you know that the Apostle Paul says in chapter 1 that if you're in Christ, you were chosen before the foundation of the world? Before you ever drew a breath, before your uh, parents ever existed, before your grandparents ever existed, your great parents, grandparents existed, you were already in eternity past chosen by God. And it tells us not only were we chosen by God, but we were adopted by God. These are rich, rich doctrines that you and I can call on God as our Father because of the reality of Him uh, adopting us as children. And then we hear that we're redeemed, that Jesus Christ came and paid the debt that you and I could not pay, and he bought us out of our uh, slavery to sin, and he has placed us on new footing. And and then what about the word forgiven? It comes up all throughout uh, Ephesians. We're forgiven in Christ, means our sin debt has been canceled. 
And then that word that we love to sing about, the word grace, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we talk about amazing grace. We talk about being saved by grace. And then uh, this idea of being sealed with the Holy Spirit, all of those things come up in chapters 1 and 2, this rich, rich doctrine in Ephesians. But Paul puts an intense emphasis also in Ephesians on the conduct of the believer. So this is where I want to direct your attention back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Would you look down, and if you have a New American Standard, I want you to circle this word, walk. Notice it there in the text of Scripture before you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. W-A-L-K. Now, if you have an NIV, let me tell you what it has there. It has the word live there. Live. Now, I want you to understand what's behind this word. Walk and live. Uh, this is the idea of one's conduct or lifestyle. That's what this is talking about. The conduct and the lifestyle of a believer. In other words, it's the way that you live out what you believe. And here's what I want you to do this morning. And I need everybody to take a deep breath, get some oxygen in. Because we need to walk through the letter uh, to, to the Ephesian believers to see how often the Apostle Paul is using this idea of lifestyle and how important it is. Would you turn back one page with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, and I want you to underline it here. Look at what it says here. It says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, that's Paul, implore you, that's the believer, to walk. Here's your lifestyle word. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, with, you, with which you have been called. What calling is he speaking of here? Our calling, no doubt, of eternity past. That God has sealed you and he's delivered you and he's redeemed you and forgiven you. And now Paul says your life ought to line up with that doctrinal reality of what God has done in your life. That's just living up to what we've been given in Christ Jesus. Now, in chapter 4, in verse 17, Paul uses this lifestyle word in a negative manner. Look at what he says here. He says, I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer. This is not the lifestyle you want to have now. And what is that lifestyle? Just as the Gentiles also walk. When we talk about the Gentiles here, essentially this is what Paul's saying. You don't want to live like the unbelieving world. You have been chosen and delivered and forgive, forgiven and redeemed. And Paul says, that's the reason we no longer live like the unbelieving world. And, and how do they live? Well, he tells us they have a darkened understanding. They have ignorance. They have hard hearts. They have become callous and given over to all kinds of impurity. And Paul says, if you're in Christ, you no longer walk that way. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, we're going to see it again, a lifestyle word. Walk in love. The dominant feature of the follower of Christ ought to be their love. It's not something you do just on February 14th or occasionally when you get a, a, a a little bit of a feeling inside of you to say, I need to express my love to someone and write them a card or call them. 
Paul says, your conduct, your everyday life ought to be one of love. And why is that? He tells us there in verse 2. Just as Christ also loved you. Brothers and sisters, I want to stop and say something to you this morning. Everything we do is always in response to what he's already done. Right? God loved us. He sent his son to die for us. And in response to that, we live a lifestyle of love. Now, chapter 5 and verse 18, uh, chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, now... Uh, You were formerly in darkness, but now you are in the light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Uh, Your conversion can be compared to being in utter darkness, spiritually speaking. That the lights are not on, you can't see anything. And when God redeems us, he takes us out of that and he places us in the light. And what does he say as a result of that? Remember, if Christ loves us, what do we do in response? We love him. Now, what is our conduct to be as people who have been delivered out of the darkness and placed in the light? Look at what he says here in verse 8. Walk as children of light. Now, I want to tell you, if you're a young Christian, you're probably reading your Bible the wrong way. And I'll tell you how you're reading it. Is you pluck one verse out and you say, okay, I have to walk as a child of light. Now I have to guess what that looks like. But, But the mature Christian, here's what they do. They read down and they look at the next verse. And look at what it says here. He says, the fruit of light consists. So he's going to tell you how you walk as a child of light. In all goodness and righteousness and truth. And then verse 9, what does he say? Or verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. If you want to walk as a child of light, that's a good template for it right there. If you want your lifestyle to be as someone who's come out of the darkness and placed in the light, that's That's the parameters of it right there. Now, what does this have to do with Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15? I think in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul's summarizing all of these and putting it into one verse. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Be be careful about your lifestyle. I want you to hear me for just a moment this morning. How you live is important how you live listen closely confirms whether or not God has done a work in your life you might call it the living proof of your life how you live proves that you've believed the right things now Paul tells us in verse 15 in this summary statement Paul tells us how the Christian life should be lived And I want to give you two words, and we're going to unpack both of them. First and foremost, it should be lived carefully. Carefully. Look there at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. I don't know if any other translation other than one translates it differently than careful. uh, But that's what the New American Standard says. Be careful how you walk. Now, the King James says this. Walk circumspectly. If you've ever been to an eye doctor like me and you have horrible eyesight, they gave you something they call spectacles. (laughs) That has to to do with this word circumspect here. But I want to give you some words that are going to help you to understand what this word careful or circumspectly means. Okay? 
You are to live with precision. That's what the word means. You are to live with accuracy. There should be an exactness in your life. That's what we're talking about. And the life, and specifically the life of a, of a Christian, is to believe to be lived with intentionality. That's the idea behind that word careful. Now, I looked at all the translations when I was studying this week, and I stumbled across the amplified version. I don't know if you any, any of you have an amplified version. They're kind of handy sometimes when you're saying, what's a definition of this? Listen to what it says about this verse. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately. So think about this for just a moment. The opposite of that word careful would be careless. A, a Christian living a careless life. A Christian with no direction. A Christian who's not well thought out in their day-to-day -day life. Now, I want to stop right here with every single one of you here this morning. And I want a, a moment of complete and utter transparency. You don't have to blurt it out. You don't have to come to me and say it. But I want to ask you a question this morning. With God as your witness alone, which of these describes your Christian walk right now? Is it careful? Is it precise? Is it intentional? Or is it careless? You see, only you know that. Only you can really answer that. And I think about this in the way of how we live the rest of our life with complete and utter care. And utter care. Uh, there are people who are health nuts and they think about everything they put in their mouth and all the vitamins they take and they're precise and accurate in those things. And then I think about people who uh, have a career and they're looking at how they can uh, accurately position themselves or or put themselves in, with intentionality to work their way through to get to the highest position in the company. Some of you have retirement set up and you've thought about to the dime what you have to put into retirement to be at the age of 65 and not have to continue to work until your hands are bleeding and, and to the bone and you say, I'm going to be able to retire because I've been precise in the way I think about retirement. And what about this day and age of social influence and social media where people put videos on and they have all the right lighting and they want to be accurate in everything they have. And I think about all those areas that we do that in and then come to our Christian life and to be careless, to be reckless, to be inaccurate, to live literally as if our heads are in the cloud and we don't even care. Paul says we are to live as Christians careful lives. Now, I want to say something to you just by way of application. The verb in this text is a present active imperative. The main verb in this text is a present active imperative. And that means you live this careful life not just on January 1st. You live this careful life not just for the th first three months of the year and make a New Year's resolution. This is to be your day today conduct. That's the word walk or live there. Now, verse 15 gives us the second thing, the second term. We're to live carefully, accurately, uh, with intentionality, but we're also to live wisely in verse 15. Did you see it there in verse 15? He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. 
as wise. Now, I told this to the first service. I want to make sure you're clear. Ladies, you're not off the hook here. You see the word men there. This is just talking about all of us in general. The Bible has that way of speaking. You guys or you men. We're talking about all mankind has to live not as unwise, but as wise. Now, I want, to see, I want you to see something that Paul does through verse 18. He gives us a series of three contrasts in this text. And I want you to see the three contrasts because it's going to tell us how all of us ought to live. The first is not as unwise, but as wise. That's the first one. The second one is we don't want to be foolish. Verse 17, look at it with your own eyes there. Do not be foolish. So what does the person do that doesn't want to be foolish? In complete and utter contrast, we want to be understanding. And how are you understanding? By knowing what the will of the Lord is. And the last one's there, the last contrast is in verse 18. Everybody put your finger and your eyes on verse 18. The last contrast is this, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation. That, that, by the way, that word means recklessness. Uh, that, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul's telling us, in essence, this careful life will be in complete and utter contrast to people who live that way. You and I, the Christian, live in a different way from the world. But I want to tell you how we also live differently. Did you know the Bible talks about the old man? And again, ladies, this applies to you. Uh, this, this old man is who we are before Christ. Now, I told John I was going to call him out in the middle of the service. My friend John Ackright, you know what he says? My life, he and I talk about it because we had a similar life. He says, my life, B.C. You know what that means? Before Christ. And the Bible tells us before Christ we live this way, but in Christ we now live this way. So let's go back to verse 15 and look at this contrast. He says the first thing, we don't want to live as unwise men. This is a man or woman without wisdom. And let's flesh this out for just a moment. They don't know God. They don't acknowledge God, and they care little for God's standard. That's what an unwise person is. And I want to tell you that you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and not consider how God has asked you to live your day-by-day -day life. You can be just completely oblivious to that. Careless and reckless, reckless and inaccurate. That's the unwise man. Now let me tell you what the Bible calls this kind of person. Did you know we live in a cancel culture right now? And you can get canceled in a heartbeat. I may get canceled for saying this. You know what the Bible calls this person? A fool. A fool. As a matter of fact, I want to give you two verses to stick in the margin of your Bible. Psalm 14.1. The psalmist says, the fool says there is no God. And according to the psalmist, you know where the fool says this? Not out loud to people. He says it in his heart. And what does that mean? It means God's not the captain. I'm the captain. God's not the boss. I'm the boss. God doesn't sit on the throne. I sit on the throne. The Bible calls that the unwise man or the foolish man. Now, let me give you another one. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what it says about the fool. The fool despises wisdom and instruction. So hear me carefully how this connects to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. 
The fool doesn't want a God who gives them a standard. The fool doesn't want a God who gives them a way of life that they have to live. And if you'll notice here, it says the fools despise that. They despise that. So Paul says, if you're living carefully and circumspectly, you don't want to be an unwise person. But what do you want to be? He tells us here, a wise person. Verse 15, not as unwise men, but as wise. The wise man in his daily life acknowledges God. The wise man in his constant practice is aware that God has a standard. His lifestyle is seeking to put that standard into practice. So let me give you the short version, okay? You ready? The wise person knows how to live. The wise person knows how to live. You can have a lot of knowledge and not know how to live. You can have a lot of head knowledge and not know how to live out an honoring Christian life. Uh, they're the person seeking to live carefully, to live a life pleasing to the Lord. They understand that life is all about God and all about His glory. I was thinking about a way that I could apply this with a common illustration. And I'm going to say something, and I don't want you to walk away from here believing that I'm saying my wife is perfect. But there is no better contrast in being wise and foolish than this woman and me in college. We were at the same college in 1992, and she had graduated from high school, came to Rose State College. I had been there at that time almost four years. My father, you remember the story I told you? He said, you turned a two-year college into a four-year college. And he said, son, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Nobody's ever accomplished that. But Gretchen, from the time that she was little, would play with dental tools. And she told her parents, I want to be a dentist. And so she had a little dental kit. She'd play with her little dental kit. And when she got out of high school, immediately she started to pursue a life in the dental field. Now, she didn't end up being a dentist, but she did end up being a dental hygienist, which is very convenient for all of us because we get our teeth cleaned. Okay, She makes sure that we floss and all those things. She had a vision, and she said, I'm going to go to school. I know my parents are paying for this, and I want to honor them with that. I don't want to squander my time. And so she went and got her credits, and she went to Missouri Southern, and she said, at Missouri Southern, I'm going to work harder than anybody else, and I want to be first in the class, and she accomplished that. Now, in contrast to that, the wise person was me. (laughs) And I want to tell you this, and this is the honest truth, B.C. before Christ. I was in college spending somebody else's money and and on somebody else's time. And there was one question I was asking. Where's the next party? Where's the next good time? No thought of tomorrow. No thought of the, the squandering of wealth. No thought of the squandering of time. I literally just said, where is the next party? There's no better contrast than to think of wisdom and foolishness in that way. You and I are called as followers of Christ to live carefully and wisely. Now, I want to pause for just a moment. And I want to tell you what verse 16 is connected to verse 15. It is the application of verse 15. Verse 16 is the application of verse 15. In other words, when you're careful and exact in your living, when you apply wisdom to your life, 
What does it look like in your day-to-day life? Well, let me give you the answer. You ready? And all God's people said, I have to make sure you're with me. All God's people said, a person that cares and is, is careful and exact in their living, that's wise, that's the person that cares about how they use their time. Would you look at verse 16 with me? Making the most of your time. Uh, The King James Version says it this way, redeeming the time. That means you're buying up time, you're buying back time, you're utilizing it to its greatest extent. Now, I want to tell you two ways in which we can apply verse 16. Number one way we can apply it is time on a clock. Right? We can, we can talk about how we use the time on the clock. Every person has 24 hours in a day. If you're here and you're drawing breath, you will have 24 hours in a day. In a week, if we calculate that, it gives us 168 hours in one week. Now, if we go to the month, here's what it's going to give us. 730 hours in one month. Now, I want to pause and think about being wise and circumspect for just a second. Did you know that the social media experts tell us that the average person, I think this is extremely low, spends three hours per day on their phones? That's what the experts tell us. Now, we know that if you go to some of the younger generation, it can be up to nine hours in a day. Now, calculate that up for just a minute. That's 90 hours of your day that you will, 90 hours of your month that you will never get back. Have you ever watched a movie and said, that's two hours of my life, I'll never get back, right? Uh, that's what I feel like when my wife watches Downton Abbey. Okay, not, I love Downton Abbey. I love, if she watches anything with a British accent, I walk out of the room, okay? Um, but here's the reality. Of that, of that uh, time in the month, 730, you've lost 90 of it that you're never going to get back. We, we should think about that, right? Now, if we calculate all this out, we go to 8,760 hours in a year. And I want to give you something that's going to blow your mind. Did you know that the average person, if you get eight hours of sleep a night, the average person in one year is going to spend 3,000 hours with their eyes closed in complete sleep. That's the average person. Now, That leaves you with about 5,700 usable hours in a year. Now, I didn't calculate this, and you didn't think about this. Did you know that you spend roughly 2,700 hours working in a year? So what does that leave us with? It leaves us with 3,000 hours of usable time in one year. Let me ask you a question. Is there any of that 3,000 hours in your usable time devoted to God? Because some people say this. They say, we come to church every week. Okay, let me give you some calculations here. That's four hours of one month. Four hours devoted to God. And what about reading through the Bible in a year? Just simply 12 minutes a day would put you all the way through. And look at all the usable time that remains. The question is, what are you doing with that time? Are you making the most use of that time that God has given you on that clock? 
because the clock's ticking. What are we doing with it? Now, there's a second way that we can look at this verse. And I believe that that clock time is correct. There's no doubt that that's included in verse 16. But I want to also tell you the word behind time in verse 16. Would you look at it with me? And I want you to underline it. And I want you to put a little line out beside that word time. It is in the Greek language the word kairos. Kairos. And here's what kairos translates to. A season or an opportunity. That's what kairos is when we're talking about time. We're talking about a season or an opportunity. Some of your translations may say make the most of every opportunity. Does anybody have that translation? Okay, some of you have that. I want you to turn over to Galatians chapter 6 and look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. And it's the same word here, kairos. And and look at what it says here in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Once you're there, say, I'm there. It's just a few pages to your left. Look at what this says. So then, while we have, do you see it there? Opportunity. That's kairos. While we have opportunity, what do we need to do? Uh, We need to do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So here's what kairos is. God is placing before us certain seasons and opportunities. And Paul says we need to make the most of those seasons and those opportunities. That's what kairos is. There's a word in the Bible called chronos. That's chronology. That's clock time. This is kairos time. Seasons or opportunities. So let me hit you with some applications. Parents. You have a short window to influence your children for the kingdom of God. Are you utilizing every moment of it? That's a kairos moment. That's making the most of your time. Making the most of your opportunity. Uh, We were discussing this earlier. Uh, When Avery was a little baby and we were holding her in our arms and she had a pacifier in her mouth, we were running around with another couple and she was a dental hygienist Her name was Diana Lay, and her husband was Raymond Lay. And we had Avery there with a pacifier in her mouth. And and, uh, about 18 years later, when Avery would graduate from high school, I called Raymond and Diane just off of a whim, and I said, Hey, Avery's graduating. Love to see you guys there. They were two of the first people here when we had Avery's graduation party here. And Diana walked in, and she looked at Avery. She said, I can't believe she's 18. I said, You told me when we had the little baby with the pacifier in her mouth, You said, this will go so fast, you can't even imagine. Right? You know what she was talking about there? Kairos. There's a short window. There's a short window, parents, to influence your children for the kingdom of God. Are you utilizing every single moment of it? Church member, let me ask you a question. There is a season, I'm going to make a statement, there's a season that your health will allow you to serve with maximum energy. Are you serving in that Kairos moment? Uh, Gretchen and I could tell you name after name after name of people who influenced us for the kingdom of God who are no longer able to serve. Royce and Susie Littrell, Keith Morgan, Johnny Timms, 
uh, Jake McKeever could tell you Johnny Timms can preach better than any man we've ever heard. He, he, he would preach the word, and Johnny's now in his late 80s, and, and he's got all kinds of health problems, and he doesn't get to preach anymore. And, and Royce Littrell's almost blind and can't drive anymore. He's in late 80s. And I look at them, and I say, they had, a, they had a season that they served, and they served vigorously when they had that time. You and I have a short window of time to serve. What about the people that God places in our path that we have a season or an opportunity to share the gospel with? Are we doing that? I shared with the first service a, an illustration of this. When we moved to, to Cashin and we would drive back to the city, before we moved to Cashin, we would drive back to the city. Gretchen and I would stop on the corner of Northwest Expressway and Council. And there at the corner of Northwest Expressway and Council, we started to eat Mexican food at Chilino's. Many of you know this. You got us gift cards at various times to Chilino's. And we got to know through the years when they moved their place, two waiters, Manuel and Pedro. Okay, And I always know my waiters by name, and you may be saying that's why you have a weight problem. Okay, You know all the management by name. You know all the waiters by name. But, but we became very good friends with them. And as far as I know, they both knew we were believers. We would pray with the kids. We would talk about church. We left good tips to be a good witness to them. And one day we walked in and we were talking to Pedro and he seemed very sad. And I said, where's Manuel? You know, we want him to wait on us. And he said, I was driving him home the other night and he had a massive heart attack in the front seat of my car and didn't make it. Now, Manuel was 30 years old or 30, 35 or 36 years old. And Gretchen looked at me and she said this, we should have done more. You see, we had a window, an opportunity, and I want to be honest with you, we didn't share the gospel with him. That's kairos. Paul says, make the most of every single opportunity you have. Now, there are some of you here that listen to the gospel week in and week out, and you walk out of here and you never respond to it. I want to tell you what the Bible says there's a moment in time that you can respond to it. And the Bible says this, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. And I say this and I stand by it. Every time you say no, it gets easier to say no the next time. You have a season or an opportunity. Now, would you look back at chapter 5 and verse 16? Why must we live wisely? circumspectly and, and carefully and accurately and all those things and, and making the most of the, of the opportunities. He says it in verse 16. Get back there to Galatians or Ephesians chapter 5 with me because I wasn't there. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. Make the most of your time. Here's why. Because the days are evil. We have to do this because the world isn't doing it. And the world, listen to me, will never do it. They'll never honor the Lord. They'll never live wisely. They'll never live making the most of every opportunity. But we have been called to do that, to be in what? Contrast with the world. Brothers and sisters, we have a limited window. We have a limited window of time. We don't know how long that window is. Will we live? For his glory. Will we live for his honor. In that short period of time.
Would you stand? The following message is brought to you by Cashin First Baptist Church in Cashin, Oklahoma. For more information about our church, please visit cashinfbc.org. 